hauling Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this episode, we hear about the work of the American Farm Bureau Federation's Cattle Market Working Group. We also get a recap of USDA stocks and small grains reports. And the hot rod farmer, Ray Bohax, brings us another installment of Bushels and Scents. And then we hear the music of Nashville honky-tonk star Ray Scott. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, not too long into the COVID-19 pandemic, anyone who went to the grocery store looking for beef might have found their meat cases sparsely stocked and might have experienced a bit of sticker shock. The coronavirus and a meatpacking plant fire had something to do with that, but was there more? That's what the American Farm Bureau Federation Cattle Market Working Group set out to understand when it spent more than two months investigating factors that led to market disruptions and price inflations at a time when prices paid to producers plummeted. Here today to talk about the findings is Scott Bennett, Director of Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And Scott, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, thank you, Brent. Thanks for having me on. Well, I know this has been a pressing topic for so many farmers and ranchers and others with a vested interest across the country, and it seems like answers have been few and far between. You know, I know the USDA looked at this and acknowledged there were some issues here, but didn't get too detailed in terms of the issues at hand. And and then in April in 2020, the American Farm Bureau Federation established this cattle market working group, which is made up of 10 state Farm Bureau presidents. And they spent more than two months digging into the facts, and they met each week and spent more than 20 hours convening to discuss the findings and hear from industry experts. What was the bottom line here? Absolutely, Brent. Well, thanks for having me on. And like I said, I, I think you outlined pretty well uh, the cattle market working group. So... As everyone can recall, the Holcomb fire in Kansas uh, in August of 2019 caused some significant volatility in the cattle market. Uh, what we didn't realize uh, at that point in time is that was pretty much batting practice for what we were going to experience uh, with COVID-19. Uh, we saw an exponentially worse volatility uh, through COVID-19 than we did at Holcomb. And in April, when we were in the middle of, of uh, having to maneuver this volatility, AFBS President uh, Zippy Duval formed a cattle market working group of 10 state farm bureaus. Uh, they are uh, representative of every region in the country. Uh, and as staff, uh, I, I managed the working group and, and allowed the meetings to take place. Um, we brought in industry experts uh, from uh, Hill staff for members of Congress to agency staff from USDA. We had uh, some exceptional land-grant university economists present to the group to explain uh, their point of view. And I made sure that uh, every uh, sector of the beef supply chain had representation as well. We had representatives from packers, from feedlots. Uh, theater folks, we had um, some folks that buy from the packer and sell into retail. 
uh, and many of our state presidents uh, are cow-calf producers, so they have that perspective as well. Um, we had every uh, varying opinion, uh, which we know are many on this issue, present to the working group, and uh, after many weeks of visiting uh, and, and deliberating the issues, we came up with the, the report that you can find on uh, the American Farm Bureau website. It's important to note you know, what the purpose of this report is for. Is, is for. Um, the report is intended for county and state farm bureaus uh, to develop policy that would then become American Farm Bureau policy. So as you read this report, this is not uh, necessarily where the American Farm Bureau stands at this moment. But the report is intended, uh, as many county and state farm bureaus will, will visit this fall, to bring policy uh, proposals to American Farm Bureau in January when we have our annual meeting. Um, this document is kind of there to spur the conversation and maybe spark uh, some idea and policy development uh, from the grassroots, which is where all of our policy development comes from. Um, in the document, in the report, uh, there's an extensive, uh, very much fact-based economic analysis of what happened in the, in the cattle markets. Uh, Michael Nephew is uh, the economist on staff that handles livestock for American Farm Bureau. He is an exceptional economist and does a phenomenal job. I think uh, this document is one that reads very easily and is one that, is, that even someone like me can understand when I read uh, exactly what happened to the markets. And then at the end, uh, we have some considerations and consensus points uh, that, that the 10 state presidents felt uh, could be addressed in policy development this fall. One is mandatory minimum negotiated trade. The second, uh, risk management and education. The third is small capacity meat packing. And the fourth is gypsum. So let's break each of those down a little bit. You know, the first key topic being the mandatory minimum negotiated trade. The working group discussed triggered style mandatory minimum pricing that's set on a region-by-region region basis, uh, many of the conversations about how cattle are and should be marketed in the U.S., um, you know, that was part of the discussion there. Also focused on the optimal level of cattle transactions through certain marketing channels to facilitate greater price discovery. Absolutely. And, and let's just be very frank here. Mandatory minimum negotiated trades are one of the hottest discussion points and, and uh, pressure points in our industry today. Uh, we've seen this uh, absolutely come to, to the point uh, of discussion in, across, uh, across the United States with Farm Bureau and, and other uh, state cattlemen's associations and the like. So our working group discussed mandatory minimum negotiated trade. And what they, uh, what they discussed was uh, the potential for a triggered style mandatory minimum you know, that would be set on a region-by-region region basis. Um, it's important to note that various and fluctuating levels uh, would be determined on that region-by-region region basis, and it would have to include input from State Farm Bureau members. Now, when we ask, well, what do you mean by triggered-style mandatory minimum, uh, and what are the various and fluctuating levels, I reiterate the point that I made earlier, where we don't necessarily prescribe that in this document, but uh, we encourage county and state farm bureaus to take that and bring to our annual meeting in January 
uh, what they feel like the trigger should be or the fluctuating uh, level should be. Uh, so it's very much open uh, for for discussion and debate. Well, and I think that's important to note because it's stated in the report here that negotiated trade is more common in some states, such as Nebraska, where the negotiated percentage has ranged from 30 to 60 percent in recent years, and in other states, arrangements and contracts are more commonplace. So it's not a one-size-fits-all approach as we look at this across the country. Absolutely. You see uh, opinions vary uh, from region to region. You've got your feeder states. Uh, that feel one way, and, and you have your more cow-calf-centric uh, states that feel another, and, you know, your states where you see packing plants reside, especially these very large packing plants, uh, you know, that that cash trade is, is often, uh, it varies significantly from some states that, uh, you know, it's a longer truck drive to a packing plant. Uh, you see those those cash trades vary quite a bit. So the next uh, key item here, risk management and education. And you note in the report, whether it be hedging cattle in the futures market or an insurance product, the lack of risk management tools used by smaller cattle and hog producers is concerning. The working group feels that more robust education around risk management and how it increases a livestock operation's viability during turbulent times is important. So I know you guys are interested and Farm Bureau working with the Chicago Mercantile Exchange to better address concerns there from smaller producers, and you've got some other ideas on it as well. Absolutely. This one is is um, not near as controversial and is one more where, uh, as the working group discussed this, we realized when we have volatility like this, how would you, uh, you know, what, what tools are there out there where you can hedge that? And, you know, I think it was uh, the... The working group discussed, um, you know, that maybe the adequate tools for these very small cattle producers uh, that may not have an entire futures contract uh, worth of cattle to hedge, uh, you know, the tools might not be there. And if they are there, they don't know about them. Is this uh, an insurance product? Is it uh, hedging in the futures market? Is there something in between? Does something need to be developed? Um, to accommodate the needs of these smaller producers. Uh, you know, that, that theme really was resounding in the discussions of this working group, and it's an important one. Um, you know, we put in the report, simply put, risk management tools work when utilized and should be used as part of a producer's business. Um, it's important to have that insurance in place so that when the volatility arises, you know, you have, you have an out, you have a, the ability to not necessarily suffer at the whims of the volatility. So the third point on here, small capacity meat packing. Now I know more than two dozen packing plants across the country had to be shuttered for days up to several weeks during the peak of COVID activity to keep it out of facilities and to protect workers. So you had this disruption and then you even saw people going to the lengths of going to local sellers to buy locally sourced meat, which put a strain on local meat lockers. And what you're saying here is that if there was more middle ground, uh, maybe smaller packing facilities that could play a larger role if only they had the proper federal inspection and the means to ship across state lines. That could be really helpful in situations such as these. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when we see the consolidation in the packing industry and, and we see these, you know, mega-sized packing plants, uh, and when, when they go down, like in Holcomb, Kansas, that Tyson plant, when it when it unfortunately had to go down last August, it represented between five and six percent of the weekly slaughter capacity in the United States. That's why we had the volatility. 
And then during COVID-19, we had a lot of these plants have to shut down because the workers uh, came down with, with COVID. Well, what we saw were these nimble, uh, smaller plants uh, able to not necessarily weather that storm of employees coming down with COVID and having to shut the entire plant down. You know, a lot of these custom kill facilities, uh, you know, if you own an animal, you can go and get it slaughtered and, and eat that meat for personal consumption, but it can't be, it can't be sold uh, to the public. And, you know, I think uh, the working group really kind of uh, came around this theme that the small capacity meat packing should play a more robust role in our, on, in our supply chain. Um, you know, are they as, a, as efficient and uh, cost effective in good times as these really big plants are? Probably not. But in times like these where we see this volatility go through the roof, you know, they were the ones that maybe could have carried us through if we had um, more tools uh, in their toolbox to become FSIS inspected or the ability for, you know, some of these state inspected meat plants to sell across state lines. Uh, the working group encourages um, looking at, you know, how do we encourage these smaller packing plants to play a more significant role in the supply chain. And as you went through the working group, what kind of representation did you have from folks who represented those types of organizations? So we had, um, we had Kate Miller, who's the chief operating officer of Fort Worth Meat Packers. She uh, came in and, and spoke to us. We had... Um, Jared Gillig, VP of Operations for Cargill, come in and, and, and explain to us, you know, how Cargill weathered the storm from COVID and gave uh, the perspective of the packer. Uh, and then we had uh, Forrest Roberts and Cersei Peoples, who are starting a, a new venture, but uh, that of Central Stockyards and, and more on the uh, marketing of fed cattle, uh, they they kind of walked us through the perspective from the fed cattle side. And certainly uh, if anyone is familiar with the Farm Bureau and, and the membership there, uh, we have a, a large, we're largely comprised of smaller cow-calf producers and many of the state presidents uh, are also uh, cow-calf producers themselves. We had Jess Peterson uh, with the United States Cattlemen's Association present to the group. And we also had Ethan Lane, who is the Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, present to the group as well. So taking a look at this issue as a whole, then, do you believe the working group came up with recommendations that feel equitable for all parties involved? You know, because I know at the end of the day, everybody wants their piece of the pie, but everybody also wants to know that they're putting their best foot forward for the market as well. That's right. You know, there is no silver bullet. Uh, answer to to this industry. It's such a complex, uh, such a complex industry, uh, and those complexities really uh, were able to shine. Unfortunately, when we got hit with COVID, um, you know what I think this report really does is it provides tools for the counting and states to to read this document, hopefully become more informed. And then if they so choose to propose policy through the American Farm Bureau uh, process of grassroots policy development uh, that, that they feel would work for them. And, you know, I can, I'm almost certain in saying that the policy from uh, a Farm Bureau in Nebraska is going to look a little bit different from the policy 
uh, in somewhere like Mississippi or, or Georgia. But um, that being said, I think this report puts the facts out there uh, for folks to make an informed decision. And certainly, we, I encourage folks to reach out if they would like to discuss or, or get any additional background on the report. Well, the last uh, topic I wanted to cover here uh, was the one of GIPSA, you know, the Grain Inspection Packers and Stockyards Administration. I know Farm Bureau supports strengthening GIPSA's ability to enforce market rules. Uh, as of right now, what's holding the administration back from doing more? So, um, yeah, to, to hit on the GIPSA point, um, American Farm Bureau has really strong policy on making sure GIPSA is robust, and has all the tools that they need to make sure our markets are fair. We're going to continue to beat that drum. Um, we encourage the administration to use GYPSA to its fullest extent. Uh, and, uh, you know, we certainly, we certainly are watching uh, the moves of GYPSA to make sure that the markets are fair. Uh, as you may note, uh, USDA came out earlier uh, this year uh, a couple months ago at this point now with their cattle market investigation in that report, it said that, you know, there are additional investigations ongoing at GYPSA. So uh, we encourage GYPSA to remain strong and and continue to fight for fair markets for our cattle producers. Well, I tell you what, this is a really comprehensive report, and I know a lot of work has gone into it and, and quite timely right now because there are so many uh, you know, when you look at this issue here and at the crux of it, you know, we were having trouble getting uh, product as consumers and uh, the prices are going up. And at the same time, you've got producers saying, well, wh where's that money going to? Because it's certainly not coming to our pockets. So uh, I know this is something that, that's going to be on the minds of many for, for months to come. And, uh, you know, kudos for digging on this. If folks want to know more about it, uh, wh where can they read this uh, report in totality? Absolutely. I would encourage folks to uh, go to www.fb.org, uh, and it can be found uh, from the front page of our website. Uh, and, and absolutely, I encourage you to uh, read the document uh, and certainly uh, reach out to your county and state farm bureaus uh, if you're a farm bureau member with your opinion of, of the report. Well, definitely check it out because there's a lot of useful information in there and it's definitely worth your time to educate yourself. And Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. And we hope to have you back down the road to give us an update on where things stand with Farm Bureau's cattle market policy. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Take care. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, on Wednesday, the USDA released its September 1st grain stocks and small grain summary reports, which showed lower stocks of corn, soybeans, and wheat. Joe Vaklavik, the president and founder of Standard Grain in Nashville, Tennessee, 
says the lower numbers caught traders by surprise, especially in corn. This is corn stocks as of September 1st, which are essentially your old crop ending stocks. The number came in at 1.995 billion bushels. The average trade guess was 2.25 billion bushels. The number in reality was 255 million bushels below the average trade guess. And what that means for us right now is that we are going to have a much lighter beginning stocks number on this new crop balance sheet. So in that last report, you know, USDA is projecting the new crop corn carryout for the U.S. at two and a half billion. It's not two and a half billion anymore because they just cut 255 million off of it. The old crop ending stocks turned into new crop beginning stocks. It's all tied together. So that's a fairly significant shift. McLovick thinks the lower corn stocks are due in part to larger than expected feed use. Like the corn number, soybean stocks also dropped, but not quite as far. The trade had expected soybean stocks at 576 million bushels. They came in at 523 and a half. So that's a difference of 53 million bushels, which again, you can take that and subtract it off of your new crop balance sheets, essentially. It's the beginning stocks on the new crop balance sheet. So 53 million bushels in beans is fairly substantial. I think USDA had their bean carry out for the new crop marketing year in their most recent report at 460, given the strong export activity, which USDA did not adjust for last month, that 460 may be 360 come next week's report. The wheat stocks numbers also dropped, but by a small margin. Wheat stocks were marginally below expectations by 84 million bushels. The trade expected 2.2 billion. They came in at 2.158. So 84 million bushels difference. It'll help to knock this extraordinarily burdensome U.S. supply and demand situation down a little bit, but it doesn't change the dynamic your grand scheme of things, in my opinion. McClellan says the grain stocks reports tend to be surprising, and this one was no different. Anytime you chop 250 million bushels off the corn balance sheet, 53 million off the bean. 84 million off the wheat. That's a surprise. That is not what was expected. I think it actually helped the market's cause when it goes across the board rather than just in one commodity. I think it helped to accelerate buying interest, perhaps among large speculators. They look at the entire complex and say the market was wrong about this entire thing. So we have the green light here to go ahead and buy any of it. The numbers are bullish for the future of corn prices. However, Viklavik says a bump in soybean prices likely will be capped off by harvest pressure. I still think that you will, and the markets right now are not reflective of this at all, obviously, after the report, but there's still a potential, in my opinion, that you see harvest pressure, cap rallies in the soybean market, or potentially limit the soybean market in some respect. And the reason that I say it in soybeans rather than in corn, bean prices are high, they're profitable, and there's no carry in the bean market. The farmer does not have incentive to put soybeans in the bin. The incentive is to sell the beans and take the cash money because there's no carry to be captured. Corn, you've got a situation where you have some carry in the market and you have prices that still leave a lot to be desired. So uh, there's going to be a lot of corn put in the bin and a lot of beans sold here near term between now and the end of the year. Again, that's Joe Vaklovic of Standard Grain in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, also on Wednesday, the USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service released the Small Grains Annual Summary Report. The report found all wheat production totaled 1.83 billion bushels in 2020, down 5% from the revised 2019 total of 1.93 billion bushels. Area harvested for grain totaled 36.7 million acres, down 2% from 2019, and the United States yield was estimated at 49.7 bushels per acre, down 2 bushels from 2019. Well, next up on Fast Sign Fast Track, it's time once again for another installment of Bushels and Cents from our buddy, the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax. Make sure you go check out all his great multimedia content at farmmachinerydigest.com.
Welcome to Bushels and Cents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. You need to buy a new heavy-duty pickup to replace your old one. You are considering a diesel version instead of the equivalent truck with a gasoline engine. The diesel option is $10,000 alone, not counting the increased maintenance costs and the higher priced fuel compared to gasoline. The upfront cost to add the diesel is the equivalent of 2,858 bushels of corn. If you farm 1,000 acres of corn, that works out to a financial loss of 2.86 bushels per acre, just so that you could go up the hills quicker. Is this the best use of $10,000? I don't think so. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit farmmachinerydigest.com where steel and soil meet. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we have a guest I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Ray Scott has made a career of sticking to his true country roots and doing things his own way and has been an inspiration for many independent artists wanting to do the same. He's working on some new music we'll tell you about in just a bit. Ray, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, thank you, Brent. Like I tell my mama, thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> How you been, man? Man, all things considered, I, I couldn't uh, couldn't complain too much, man. You know, um, haven't had COVID. I've been healthy. I've been, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I gained what I like to call the quarantine since March. Uh, but uh, you know, been been good, man. Been been busy. Been creative. Um, you know, we figured out how to use the time wisely and the best we can. So you know, it's going yeah. good. I tell you what, I've been keeping an eye on you in social media here, and saw that you just got back from Alaska. What, what were you doing up there, and what was that trip like? Man, I, I got a friend up there named Ken Peltier, um, and he is kind of—he's an artist himself in Alaska. Probably the most uh, popular guy playing up there, to be honest. And been friends with him for years. He invited me up to to do a couple of shows, um, you know, just a couple of acoustic things, sort of a work slash vacation. Took my wife Stacy up with me, and we. Uh, you know, we, we, we worked, made a little bit of money, drank a little bit of beer and, and uh, looked around and you know, just breathing that clean air, man. It was it was nice. Nice. Well, I tell you what, for all the turmoil that there's been around Nashville here the past few months, I imagine it was a breath of fresh air to get out of there and uh, clear your head and get to see some different sights. Oh, dude, I tell you, man, we <laughs> we didn't want to come back. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I can see that. You know, it's funny. I mean, Alaska is a beautiful place, but even... You know, even Anchorage, Alaska, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff going on there as far as COVID and, and uh, you know, politics and everything else that reminds you, oh, yeah, we're still in the U.S. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but it is what it is. You know, we just we got away, got got out into the frontier a little bit and uh, we're able to enjoy some beautiful scenery. So. So did I see you just celebrated an anniversary as well? We did just uh, just last week. Congratulations um, on that. Number five. You're number five. Uh-huh. I, I tell you what, uh, how did that change things in the Ray Scott world five years ago? <laughs> well, man, it, I mean, you know, when she came along, it was just uh, just out of the blue, knocked me out, you know. And, and, uh, it's, uh, you know, we've been together for about six years, and uh, I knew pretty quick once we started going out that I wanted to marry this gal, so... Uh, Put it on the fast track to, to borrow. Yes, sir. 
but yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's been good. You know, I mean, we've had our our uh, issues. You know, uh, every everybody married in this world today, there's something going on that that uh, challenges. We we've had uh, I've had legal stuff, and you know, just just different things that challenge the uh, the happiness a little bit. But uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And uh, hopefully, she feels the same way. <laughs> And she, and she knew that those jeans was out there and, and she still took you anyway, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> one of the, uh, let's see, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, a song called She's Still Screaming My Name that I did. Um, but I pl- I was playing that at a show and it's got kind of a, a really uh, sort of out of the blue smack in the face kind of lines, a little bit crude. <laughs> But before we met, she I ha- happened to be at a show and she heard me sing that line. And then she started paying attention after that. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny of all the songs that she could have. She, she was talking about me to her mother. And um, of all the songs she could have introduced me to her mom with, uh, she picked the one called The Ugly One. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but it's, you know, it's pretty ridiculous. So, uh with, uh, you know, with her doing that, I, I realized, well, this girl's sense of humor is just as messed up as mine. So that's a big <laughs> part of it. If you can get over that hurdle, you're all right then, I guess, huh? That's right, man. You got to, you know, you got to have somebody that laughs with you and, and uh, doesn't roll her eyes every time you say something. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely important. Well, you uh, dropped a six-song EP, Nowhere Near Done, in February, just as we were starting to hear the first reports about uh, COVID hitting the United States, and I'm sure you had plans to hit the road to support it, and then things took a difficult turn from there. Man, what's that little stretch been like? You know, it it seems like something happens every time. You know, it doesn't matter. Something's always, uh, you know, standing in your way as an obstacle, but you know, with that, you know, we, we did, I, I, I had it all set to, to release. We released it uh, within, God, two, three, four weeks after that. You know, that's when things started just unfor- unfurling, you know. Um, I, I remember I was uh, just released the album. It had been out for a couple of weeks, I guess. I remember I was in the last full band shows that I did were in uh, Switzerland and Austria, Um on the 28th and 29th of February, I came back home. Um, there was something in North Carolina and a couple other things going on in March that uh, they started falling like dominoes as far as all the dates go because of everybody, obviously, the fear of, uh, uh, you know, it's spreading around. So, you know, our whole business uh, began to change at that point. So it was a scary time. And, and uh, you know, to, to top that off, I was kind of sick i had like bronchitis during a lot of the month of march mm. so i was dealing with that it wasn't actually covid um but uh you know we realized hey we, we should maybe do some live streams here maybe throw up a you know a virtual tip jar or something like that because a couple of folks have started to do that uh believe it or not there were a lot of people out there that uh, that didn't take advantage of that or didn't uh utilize that tool um we figured out fairly quick i mean within a few weeks anyway that that's kind of what we needed to do so as soon as i was well enough to to get that going um you know it's it it, things turned around and uh you know i was able to to kind of start playing i mean we were doing every week at the time we were doing fridays um we've shifted to wednesdays now uh but you know having everybody get 
involved. You know, I mean, they kind of got used to it every week. You know, we, we had a good crowd joining us, um, you know, um, for whatever reason, I started doing a lot of writing because I was stuck at home with nothing to do and nowhere to go. Uh, so it just kind of metamorphosized. And, and uh, uh, you know, fast forward to now, here I am uh, recording a 12-song a record. And uh, most of it is made up of, uh, of stuff that I had written since the first of the year. Uh, wow. And all through this COVID period. So, you know kind of a blessing in disguise in some way so i can't complain about it too much you know did we get to go out and play no but uh you know but it's it's been a it's been a useful time for us anyway and my wife and i you know i mean we've we've never stayed i mean we've never spent this much time together the whole time we've been married because uh you know i mean i was always gone and back and gone and back and, and uh, you know so that that was a you know, that was a trying period. You know, it's funny, uh, a couple of months back, I, you know, I called this the, the great relationship test of 2020. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I think a lot of people splitting up and whatever else realizing, you know, man, now that I hang out with you a lot, I, I really don't like you very much. <laughs> um, but it's it's been good. It's been good. I know what I could do. I was just sitting here thinking about it. I got three kids I could send down your way here if you wanted to spice things up a little bit. You know, man, I'll, I'll stick with the way I got it right now. I appreciate that. <laughs> we got enough animals to keep us uh, keep us busy. <laughs> so I I take the title "Nowhere to Be Done" to be kind of a declaration that you still have plenty of unfinished business left in the country music world. Is that a is that a fair assessment? Oh yeah, for sure, man. And these last few months are further testament testament of that. You know, um, that was a statement nowhere near done. Uh, that was just uh, me saying, "Hey, man, I'm I still got a lot to say. I still got a lot to to do. A lot of different places to to go and to to share my music with people." Um, you know, sometimes when you're uh, when you you've been in Nashville for a while, maybe if you had a a major rate, uh, major label record deal like I did, and and it, it it went away. You know, then you become indie, and you know the 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 general way people look at it. And in, in this town, you know, they're always looking for the the next whatever. And uh, you know, so folks who have had a deal and maybe you know had a situation where things didn't blow through the roof right away. I mean, they're you know they can be put out to pasture here pretty quick, and. Um, you know, after doing this for a few years and, and kind of meeting a little bit of resistance in town, you know, you realize, gosh, you know, you guys are missing out on on uh, uh, on some business here, man. You know, I mean, you're uh, you're uh, you're calling me done a little bit too quick, and we're gonna see we're gonna see about that. So, uh, so that's that's kind of what uh, what we did, and I, you know, I've been I've been living in or near Nashville for. For a long time now you know i i got here in 94 so i've been here for a long time and you know i i rarely go to music row there's really nothing down there that i need um i uh, pretty much conduct my business right here from my man cave and and out on the road where the real people are the ones that are looking for real music to listen to and uh, there's there's plenty of folks out there that uh were kind of fed up and sick of what nashville was putting out years ago and, and uh, so uh so guys like me are out there kind of giving them what they want. And as long as, uh, long as there's folks out there wanting it, we all got a job. You know? Yeah. 
Well, you know, I had this discussion last week for anybody who was watching last week with Scott Southworth, who you had a chance to do some shows with, uh, you know, over over in Spain. Spain. And (laughs) we were in Spain. He, uh, you know, they they lost my luggage, and I'm sitting there on day three. He's like, dude, you know, I got some clothes you can wear if you want. (laughs) Scott's a nice guy, nice guy. He he just put out a new record. It's really good too. Well, you know, we had that discussion, man, that, uh, that never has there probably been a better time to be an independent artist because uh, there's never been more outlets to be able to put out that music. And as long as people are savvy enough to go uh, nowhere to go find it, man, it's it's uh, it's a smorgasbord out there, really. Well, you're right. And, and you know what? All of a sudden the rule book goes away. You know, yeah. if you, you, if, you know, it's like I've always said, man, if, if you do quality work. Uh, people are going to hear it. They're going to, you know, they're going to discover it if you use the tool that is social media and just the internet period. You know, uh, we live in a time where, you know, we can kind of, I mean, look, look, it, it, it comes down to, I mean, you still got to learn your craft. You still got to practice. You still got to, to get good at it, you know? Um, and, you know, not, I mean, I say get good at it. Some people might think you're good. Some people might you know, want to wait and see what, what's coming next you know so uh, but you know if, if you know you kind of got it figured out for your own uh, you know um, intents and purposes um, you realize okay well I, I can do this I can make this work you know I mean you kind of you kind of you know, you, you redefine what you might have thought was success uh, you know I think a 25 year old guy's uh, vision of success or or you know definition of success can be a lot different than a 45 year old guys, uh, you know, because you live, you, you, you live, uh, you know, you live life for a while and you realize after a while, what your barriers are, what your, um, you know, what you're willing to do to make this happen. What, you know, where your line is creatively, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that, uh, they, they've gotten rich doing this, but they're singing songs that they, you know, really don't want to be singing 10 years from now, but they're going to have to. Um, yeah, but we, you know, um, like I say, I mean, I think, uh, if you stay, you stay busy at it, keep working at it, you know, keep trying to serve, uh, the people that have supported you. Um, I think that it's a whole new world. It's, it's a wild west, man. And, uh-huh. uh, you, you can, you can win the gunfight. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, I had mentioned, uh, the, the time around those genes around 2012, uh, well, and I think that song really stood out because that was about the time the pendulum really started swinging the other way toward all the pop country stuff. And, uh, and you kind of were drawing that line in the sand here and saying, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do it a different way. And, uh, you know, one way or another going to make it happen. And at the same time, re- really kind of uh, satellite radio got on board. You got a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, play on the video side. And also, uh, that was really when social media started taking off. And uh, that's only gained and helped artists since then. Yeah, you're right. You know, and during that time, that was a great time for me. I mean, that that uh, that whole time period kind of gave my career a shot in the arm, dude. I mean, at the time, I was doing mostly some songwriting. I was playing a little bit around here and in the states. I, you know, I was going to Europe and, and actually playing some big shows, and and that was that was a lot of fun. And that was, you know, it, it paid the, the bills and and. I, you know, it was just sort of uh, a stepping stone. I still play Europe when I can. Um, right now, we'll see when we can actually go back. <laughs> uh-huh. But um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, and you know, and I had some business dealings with uh, some folks I was working with back then during the those jeans time. You know that that song, um, the video for that song uh, was on YouTube. I had a management team that was uh, uh, supporting me during that time. They put it up on YouTube, and we we came to a, a point of impasse. Uh, you know, and, and that management team actually pulled that YouTube video down off of YouTube and. We had a million views on that thing, and then they okay. pulled it up there, and we had to start start over again. You know, I mean, really, really underhanded stuff there, man. But you know, people in this business can be backstabbers. Um, but you know, that's just one of the things you learn along the way, man. There's going to be people that, uh, you know, that for whatever reason uh, want to stand in your way. Um, but that was a turning point for me. You know, that song in particular was one that I wrote that. Uh, you know, sitting around one night, it was kind of goofy and kind of different. And I, I realized as an independent artist, you know, sometimes, man, uh, you know, you can't be out there trying to sound like everybody else. I mean, and and if you have the ability to put something out there, it's going to be one of those water cooler type songs where folks say, hey, man, have you heard this thing, this goofy thing or whatever else? Uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, that's worth a lot. And with that song, I kind of knew I had that. Um, because it wasn't like nothing else. It was kind of funny. It was kind of kind of goofy, and uh, and you know, so it just it grew legs. And thankfully, you know, John Marks at Sirius XM at the time, you know, he he believed in it, and he he made it what they called a highway find uh, back then. I think they still have them. I'm not sure. Um, but you know, then he went on, and uh, I put out another album. He played uh, a song called "Drinking Beer." He always thirsty, you know. Uh, there were a couple other songs that he played uh, too in lighter rotation. So I, you know, I got a lot of help from from Sirius during those times, and and you know, some secondary radio here and there. And you know, for all the folks out there who who did play that and who played any of my music, you know, I, I sincerely, sincerely thank you. Um, it's uh, you know, it's not pay for play. It's it's just you know, they like it, they play it, and that's that's the way it ought to be. So I, I you know, I've been blessed in that respect. Uh, but yeah, that. That song was the one that kind of started everything back up for me after sort of, you know, fading out from having the, you know, the big record deal and having a hit and then, and then sort of going away. So, um, but it's been good. You know, the only, the only negative thing, the only drawback to the, the Gene song uh, is that, uh, you know, some, I think some people pigeonhole me as the, the comedy guy or something. <laughs> <laughs> but you know if folks pay attention to my old catalog or if they go deep into an album they'll realize that's not the case um, uh, i love i love a good dark song as much as anybody and i write a lot of them so remember rolling stone calling you rye <laughs> yeah well you know that's that's a good that's a good description i can uh, definitely i can I, I can definitely go there you know um look i i mean you gotta have a sense of humor i'm i'm you know I'm, uh, you know, my sense of humor is wry and a little bit twisted, and uh, and I think it does come out in some of the songs. And, and you know, when you can write something like that and it is effectively funny and people dig it, you know, then why not? You know, I think some people get a little bit too serious all the time, anyway. You know, well, that, that, that's definitely the case these days. I know that. So anytime we can interject any kind of uh, levity to that, man, we we definitely need to do that. Well, before we go any further, let's hear one from Ray Scott off the new EP. This is Better As I Go. See if you can hear Ray's Don Williams influence on this one. 
I've never been that good at being good Got a handful of ex-wives to show I can lay a heart to waste But I've learned from my mistakes I hope I'm getting better as I go Whiskey is a demon I've been wrestling More than once it's had me on the ropes I put it down, I pick it back up Ain't gonna lie, man, it's been tough I hope I'm getting better as I go There's a reason She waits for me while I'm out on the road She's my beacon She keeps me pointed where I need to go stuff from ray scott there thank you man well uh, let's talk a bit about where your journey began for you You're from northern north carolina farm town not too far from virginia pretty much in the cradle uh, of uh, bluegrass down there oh yeah man I, you know i grew up going to uh, bass mountain quite a bit and, and uh, that's, that was in burlington north carolina really near there and uh you know, so I did grow up hearing a lot of bluegrass. As a matter of fact, my dad was in on a little uh, bluegrass park that uh, that they built uh, in my hometown of Samora, North Carolina. Um, it was called Indian Ridge. It was open for a handful of years. They had a, quite a few acts coming in and out of there all the time. Um, so I did grow up around a bunch of that stuff. You know, my dad was a singer, more of a you know, sort of the classic sort of smooth country voice. You know, he could. He could do some Jim Reeves like no no other, you know. Um, but he sang Waylon and Willie and all that kind of stuff too. And I, I kind of grew up 
listening to uh, to my dad singing a lot of the, the popular songs of the day. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of, you know, it was an interesting take because I I probably heard my dad singing these songs more than I did the actual the actual recordings. Um, you know, uh, so you know it was different. You know, I, I probably I probably picked up on the actual artists' records a little later down the line. But uh, mm-hmm. so that's that's how I grew up. You know, I, I can remember being four or five years old. You know, uh, sitting there listening to my dad and my mom singing "House of the Rising Sun." You know, and that kind of stuff. Uh, so you know, when when it when it gets into you at that age, man, I think you're just you're kind of cursed and destined and you know, bound for, for chasing this thing. You know, um, my dad, I think had an opportunity to, to do a little bit more with the singing thing uh, when he was young. And, and I think the family happened and, and he sort of put that on the back burner. Um, you know, I, I never have had any kids, you know, so I've been, I've been able to be a kid for a lot of years now. (laughs) (laughs) I'd tell you what, don't lose that. No, it ain't going anywhere. I guarantee you that. <laughs> so, uh, wh- when did you first start showing an interest in in singing and picking up a guitar? You know, man. Um, honestly, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I took piano lessons. That didn't really take at the time. I just wasn't interested in it. Uh, you know, it wasn't until I was in my teens and uh, my later teens that I joined my first band when I was nineteen. And it was in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, you know, I mean, and look, everything I do has always been based in writing. Um, writing the songs is uh, has been what's driven me from uh, from day one. I always wanted to be a writer. I, I knew I had the, the ability to do it. I was, you know, I wrote poetry when I was a kid. You know, my grandma used to bribe me. Uh, she'd give me 10 bucks if I'd write her a poem. So, you know, uh, and that happened numerous times. But, you know, so everything... That I, all of my aspirations and dreams in doing this were always based in writing songs, writing from my point of view. Um, Obviously, um, growing up and hearing uh, all the the people I was influenced by, that that played a big role. So, you know, I think uh, a lot of what you hear coming from me is informed by, you know, people from, you know, Willie Whalen, Haggard, Johnny Cash, you talk about. Jerry Reed, Roger Miller, you know, I mean, I love John Prine, you know, um, uh, Steve Earle. I mean, a lot of, lot of, lot of really great artists and writers that uh, that I grew up on. I, I, you know, I've always loved the singer songwriters, um, yeah. and that's kind of been, you know, that was that was always my thing. That's what I wanted to do. I mean, coming to town from day one, that's what I knew I wanted to do. I didn't just want to go be a, a vocalist or somebody who recorded other people's songs. As a matter of fact, I'm not really very good at singing other people's songs. Um, now, maybe if it's if it's an old classic that I love and that's sort of deeply ingrained in me, uh, you know, maybe it'd be different. But, uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I sort of painted myself in a corner being that way uh, when I was at a record label, you know. Warner Brothers tried to get me to record some outside material years ago. And, uh, you know, I just, I just couldn't do it. I, could, I mean, there were even some songs that they pitched me that I actually liked, um, but I wasn't really able to get in the studio and and sell that song vocally, uh, you know, just because it didn't sound like I believed what I was singing. Uh, and I think that's just because I didn't write it. And so that's kind of the way I'm built. Um, and so it makes it, it makes it a little tougher uh, to get a hit in this town 
Um, because if you're trying to do everything, you got a, you know, you got a, a little passageway about that big, you know, when you're open and able to, to, uh, perform other people's material, you know, it's, it's a lot bigger world. So, you know, but that it is what it is, you know, and that's, yeah. uh, yeah. it's me. So you got to Nashville in 94. You were still fairly young when you got there. I mean, you, you were uh, not that, uh, not that old and uh, venturing out on your own. Yeah. You know, um, Hey, you know, I knew, I knew what I wanted to do. Um, I moved to town without knowing a soul, you know, um, I just figured I'd, I'd get here and go out and try to figure out who was who and figure out who to be friends with, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, I did a lot of co-writing or at least trying to do a lot of co-writing in the earlier days. Um, you know, these days I don't do much of it. I write most, mostly by myself. Uh, and I always wrote by myself. I mean, the song that got me my record deal initially, it was one that I wrote by myself. So uh, that's always thankfully been something that I, you know, that I was able to do, have been able to do. Uh, problem is when you write some songs by yourself, it's a little bit harder to get them recorded around here. <laughs> because you know i mean for one thing it can be a stylistic issue but it's also a political issue you know i mean uh you know a lot of times you know these days it's it's best to write a song with the actual artist um or at least with their camp you know um so it's you know it's different it's a different day you know back when i moved to town there were still a lot of songwriters getting cuts by artists and having hits on songs that they wrote. Um, these days, it doesn't happen like that as often. You know, most of the time, like I said, it's, it's with people having to uh, to write with the actual artists and, and that kind of thing, and sort of play the politics end of it. You know? Yeah. So, uh, any of the friendships that you made or, or connections that you made early on, uh, are you still tight with any of those people, or keeping contact with them, or? You know, a handful, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm really tight, you know, with, mm -hmm. with, with a lot of people around here. Um, you know, some of them have, have left town, to be honest with you. Um, mm -hmm. A couple of them have passed away. Um, you know, life has just sort of happened, you know, and you're here long enough. You see, you kind of see uh, all everybody kind of rise up and then, you know, fall back down. And, you know, sometimes they leave town. They decide to do something else. Um you know, I've just been sort of, uh, sort of here all along, just, just, just doing my thing, you know, um, not really a Nashville fixture. I'm just a guy who lives here and, and has an, an office here, you know, <laughs> who, who are some of the, uh, the, the artists that are out there doing it today, kind of in your vein that, that, that you, uh, pay attention to that you really admire, man, you know, um, I tell you, I mean, it, I don't pay attention to what's going on on commercial radio. So I, you know, I can't really speak for, um, a lot of what's going on there. I'm sure there's a lot of talent there. So it stylistically kind of lost me, uh, cause it all sounds like pop music to me or, or some bad version of it, some of it. But, uh, you know, these days, um, as far as artists go, you know, I, I respect a lot of these guys that are kind of doing, uh, doing it despite what's going on in Nashville, what's despite what's going on at, uh, terrestrial mainstream radio you know i mean you got guys like cody jinks out there tearing it up you know uh and ward davis is another friend of mine who's a friend of cody's ward used to be my keyboard player he's kind of like uh he's kind of like the little brother i never wanted you know i mean uh, 
And, you know, people like those guys, you know, Whitey Morgan, I don't know him very well, but he, he does a cool thing. I mean, he's got a good, you know, live touring career going, you know I mean? There's, there's guys out there that are doing it and have been doing it and pack them in everywhere they go, you know, and they have nothing to do with this machine uh, that comes out of Nashville. So, you know, Kendall Marvel's another good one. that He's been yeah. a songwriter, like a successful songwriter in town for a lot of years. You know, he's played that game and gotten a lot of uh, big artists record his songs. And, you know, and now he's out there doing it himself, which, I, you know, I think he should have been doing it all this time. Um, I know uh, way back, I mean, we've known each other for 20 years at least. And, and uh, you know, I remember way back, you know, he was kind of looking to maybe get a record deal or something um back when and and you know i think what happened with him was he started getting people uh recording songs that he'd written so he realized uh well maybe i'll ride this train for a while because it's pretty cool walking to the mailbox and getting a check you know <laughs> yeah. but yeah. I, I think kendall is just an example of another guy in nashville who's just gotten fed up with the music that's coming out of town uh the, the types of relationships that have formed now you know as opposed to what things used to be like you know um I think he just figured it was time to make uh, make his own statement artistically as the actual artist, and I'm glad he did it because uh, what he's putting out there is, is really good stuff. So, you know, people like that, you know, I mean, they're, they're, those are the folks that I admire these days. Just, you know, you know, like I said, this is like the Wild West, and anybody that's a maverick that's, you know, got the balls to put it out there, um, you know, that, that's uh, that's who I pay attention to. That's who I respect. Yeah. Well, and I think their day's coming around pretty quickly here because I, I see a real rise in popularity of that stuff. And, and a lot of those guys that you rattled off, I've been kind of watching for five or six years here. And uh, now now they're just kind of starting to hit that pinnacle when you start to look at independent charts and so forth. They're, they're here. They're knocking on the door. Well, those are the guys, you know, that you see people online talking about, you know, celebrating. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't see folks on, at least not in my feed, you know, I mean, you don't see folks talking, uh, talking up the, uh, you know, the radio artists nearly as much as, as, uh, as, as these other guys, you know, these other guys are putting out music that's edgy, can be polarizing, whatever else, because they're not trying to please everybody. They're, you know, they're just trying to please whoever's going to be naturally pleased by them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's all I, that's all I've ever done either. So, uh, you know, so I'm glad to see more of that happening. I'm glad to see, uh, I'm glad to see it, it, it uh, becoming successful out there just as a whole on that style of music. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm anxious to see kind of what happens with everything because I see that whole genre in itself growing uh, like yeah. a weed and uh, this other stuff. I don't, you know, I don't know. We'll see, see what happens. I mean, like I said, some of this stuff is, it just sounds like pop music, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is a disconnect with a lot of this stuff. I mean, it sounds like it's made for kids, you know, for little kids. And, and hey, man, that's a huge market. Chase it all you want to. But yeah. uh, there's a whole lot of adults out there that want to listen to something that's got a little bit of meat on the phone, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the guy I'd throw in there that I've been kind of keeping an eye on here the last few years, uh, Mickey Lamantia, who's been in town working with uh, uh, Jamie Johnson here, uh, doing yeah. something with, with Buddy yeah. Cannon and uh, – and uh, uh, Bill McDermott, you know, they they, they yeah. got a nice project going together here that I think is going to take off. So, and it's exciting to see all those guys coming together to uh, uh, to, to make some noise. Yeah, it is. And Creed, you know, Creed Fisher is another one that yeah. uh, 
Yeah. I just uh, he's a friend of Mickey's as well, and he recorded my song "Ain't Always Thirsty" recently. He sent me a sent me a copy of it on uh, on Facebook a couple of weeks ago. Sounds really good. Yeah, I've heard Mickey sing that one too. Yeah, I've I've kind of become friends with Mickey over the last three or four years, and and uh, you know I haven't really hung out with him very much. Obviously, he lives up north. Uh, the other day when he was in the studio, uh, I was actually in the studio working on my stuff, so I wasn't really able to go by there, but. Uh, uh, yeah, he's he's got a really cool voice, man. And uh, you know, yeah. you know I got the guy's like a prison guard. You know, I mean, he's uh, he's been yeah, up in Rhode Island. So you know, he's seen some stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got some stories. There's, there's no question about it. And I like the connection, little known connection. Our uh, uh, theme song that you heard here at the start of the uh, the, the program here, uh, sung by Dustin Collins, uh, was produced by Bill McDermott. Uh, oh, cool. So, cool. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we got to go in there and uh, Omnisound and, and cut that thing. And what what a treat that was to to work with him because, uh, you know, you talk about putting him and Buddy Cannon together. I mean, geez. Yeah. We know Buddy did my friend uh, Warner. Um, Buddy, uh, Buddy produced that with my friend Philip Moore. So I've, and Buddy is actually the guy, him and a guy named Noro Wilson, who passed away a couple of years ago, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're the guys that kind of gave me my first shot in, in Nashville. They uh, they heard some cheap demo I did, and, and they came down at the time I was working at a marina doing uh, body work on boats, you know, uh, on the west side of town. And they uh, they they came down and said, we heard, uh, you know, we heard you on tape or whatever. We like what we heard. We'd like to meet with you. So I went and met with them, talked to them a little bit, and they got me signed that uh, at the time was still Acuff Rose Music. Oh, wow. And that was my first publishing, publishing slash developmental deal or whatever. And um, so, yeah, I always credit Buddy for kind of giving me my first shot here and getting my getting my foot in the door. You know, um, he's um, he's a, he's a good guy. That's a great family. I'm good friends with his daughters as well. Um, you know, his his daughter Marla is a great songwriter. You know. Uh, but he's kind of Nashville royalty, man. He's he's kind of been there, done that, worked with a lot of great people. So this new EP that you put out earlier this year, uh, nowhere near done, was put out in February. Six really solid, true to their roots, true traditional country music songs. Here, what was the inspiration for that project? You know, honestly, man, it's just uh, the last couple of years have been uh, just a turning point for me. Um, you know. You, you go for a while, I, you know, I'll back up about four or five, well, about four years here. Um, I put out an album called uh, Guitar for Sale. Um, still proud of that record, but that, that record um, actually consisted of uh, quite a few songs that were maybe a little older, nothing that was really current, at least at, at the time. Uh, those were a lot of songs that I hadn't recorded yet or I hadn't included on a project yet for whatever reason, uh, you know, nothing in particular. But I just knew that I had some things that I wanted people to hear. Some of them were songs that were, uh, you know, things I recorded to go towards a second album with Warner years ago. Uh, that album ended up never being released. Uh, so, uh, you know, I had to, you know, re-record them or whatever else. So I, so I recorded a handful of those and then a few stragglers here and there. Um, and one of the reasons that I did it that way was because, you know, I, I kind of went through a time that was not really very, uh, you know, um, you know, 
I didn't, I didn't really have a, a good writing bug going, you know, um, I don't like to use the term writer's block because I think writing, you know, it, it comes in seasons, you know, uh, it's not something that you can sit down in my opinion and do effectively every day. And sometimes we just get into a different mindset for a little while. We get stuck in one spot. And I think I was in the, uh, you know, I, I had started doing my own label, you know, I, I'd, uh, kind of taking the reins from a business standpoint a little bit more um, or taking part in that more than I had in the past. Um, so I think I was in a different spot. So it was a good time for me to go and record material that I already had. Um, uh, after that, I started writing again. All of a sudden, you know, maybe a few months later, something hit me and things just started pouring out. And, um, you know, Nowhere Near Done was uh, a, a basically a culmination of songs that were written within probably about a six or eight, eight month period in the year before that. And, uh, you know, they were all just songs that I felt strongly about. Um, you know, the, the title track, obviously being a statement, um, saying, Hey y'all, I'm still here and there's a whole lot of good shit to come yet. You know I mean? That's, that's the way I saw it. That's the way I still see it. Um, and, uh, you know, so so that was sort of the centerpiece uh, for that. And, you know, um, the song I just played, uh, um, I still love. Um, there's a song on there called Bottle of Whiskey that you know, it was kind of a, a song that was written from the standpoint of the bottle of whiskey doing the talking, uh, which is something I'd never heard before. So I was proud of that. And uh, the song Wander, um, you know, it's kind of my life story. You know, I mean, uh <laughs> in a nutshell, for the most part. Um, it's a very honest song. It's got a cool groove, you know. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, all those songs, all that stuff came together and just, uh, uh, you know, just seemed to all fit for me at the time, you know. I mean, I, I never do uh, what you call uh, a concept record, you know, at least not on purpose. Um, you know, I'll, I, I'm a, you know, I write songs, you know. Um, and I record songs and I, you know, and whatever I love, I keep. And, uh, you know, I, I don't start from song one and, and you know, have a, a mapped out story that I'm trying to tell. It's going to resolve itself in song 10. It just doesn't work that way. But I, you know, I put songs together. that I feel like at least represent my mindset for that period of time. Um, and, uh, and so that was kind of the way that happened. And I'm, you know, I, I consider it my best, compilation of work yet you know it's an ep yeah um but i think it shows an evolution for me um artistically you know maybe as as a writer maybe uh you know singing too maybe um and another thing that i've started doing and i did quite a bit on that record and and this new one is uh playing guitar on on the records myself uh now that's something i used to always let other people handle because it was easy you know, it was easy to just go in there and let this great picker over here just handle it. You know, but you realize the more you do this, especially as a songwriter, you you know, they might play the song, but they might not play it with the same kind of feel that you that you wrote it with. Um, and sometimes that um, it might sound good, uh, but it doesn't put you in the right mindset when you're singing it. Um, it it's a weird thing. You know, I know I was talking to Jamie Johnson about this a few years ago. He, he asked me, he said, do you, you play guitar on your own songs? <laughs> and I, you know, on, I said, not really, man. I said, you know, I, I, I didn't think anybody really did that, you know. Um, 
They said, we ought to do that, man. It, you know, it makes a difference. You know, uh, that's my best Jamie impersonation. But uh, Spot on. And, 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 you know, and he was right. You know, I mean, he was right. I think for the longest time, I just sort of defaulted to other people. Um, and I didn't really feel comfortable doing it myself because I'm not, I'm not a great player, you know, in a town full of guitar players, you know, I consider myself a guitar owner, you know, um, but, you know, but that's one thing I've been doing, um, that has been, uh, cool and sort of helped put my stamp on this stuff a little bit more. Uh, you know, I got enough great musicians playing along with me to make it sound really good. So. <laughs> if it was just me by myself, it might be another another story. Well, before we go any further, how about we hear another one from Ray Scott's new EP? This is Wander on Fast Line Fast Track. I can't help but wander Back when I was a kid Went out to California Never was the same
And I tell you what, you just had a, a big birthday here not too long ago. Uh, any cause for introspection or kind of, uh, uh, you know, putting more thought into uh, to, to what you want out of your career and uh, looking down the road a bit? You know, man, I think, I mean, obviously it was a milestone. I mean, to, to have reached the age of 50, uh, God, I mean, number one, I was, uh, I was excited that I reached the age of 50, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, you know, you realize it, it just makes you realize, man, time truly flies. Um, I've had so many great experiences. I've seen the world, uh, I plan on seeing quite a bit more of it, um, but, uh, you know, yeah, it, it, time flies, man. And, um, you know, I think the, 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 uh, the message with, as far as me turning 50 kind of says, you know, Hey, you know, make the best of your time, you know, uh, don't waste your days, you know what I mean? Cause you don't have a whole lot of them in the first place, but you know, the older you get, the more obvious that becomes. Um, and you know, um, I, I'm one of the things that I've really tried to, to commit myself to and, and make more time for is uh, spending with family. Um, you know, my family's in North Carolina. They're nine hours away. It's tough for me to get back uh, as much as I'd like to. You know, my folks are getting older. Uh, my mom is actually, she's been in the hospital for a while. She, she, uh, she's in a rehab center now. You know, hell, during this COVID thing, I mean, even if I went home to see her, they wouldn't let me. Uh, and that's, that's, uh, you know, that's something that's been really hard to accept, but, you know, in general, my, my, my thought process is just, let's just try to make it home as much as I can and, and start to really, um, you know, just pay attention to things that really matter. You know, one of the songs on this, this EP, Nowhere Near Done, is called Big Old World. And, you know, basically what the song is about is, is being a young man and being, kind of called by, you know, the big world out there to, to leave the hometown and go out and chase, chase a dream, you know, and get away from there. I mean, every time, you know, I was 14 years old. I went to California with my grandmother and ever since then I could not wait to leave the farm, so to speak, you know, um, just, uh, just had wanderlust. But, um, you know, one of the thing, you know, the thing the song says is, is, uh, you know, I was told there's a big old world out there, a land of dreams and with bright lights everywhere, you know, but grander schemes and, and broken dreams came around and made it clear. There's a big old world right here. And uh, it just made me realize, hey, you know, there ain't nothing so wrong with my hometown. That's that's where my roots are. That's where my uh, the people I love are, you know. Um, and it's, it's a, you know, it's just a big circle, you know, it's an evolution, you know, I mean, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I didn't feel that way. Um, but, you know, now I do. And, and there's a, there's kind of a peace of mind that comes with that. You realize uh, some, of, some of these other things sort of fall away. Uh, some of these things that you used to deem important, you don't anymore. Um, and it's a short life. So, you know, I just, you know, I just want to try to start paying attention and, and uh, giving my effort towards things that really matter instead of all the... Yeah the bs that i used to and there was a lot of it. yeah so uh you talk about the new music in the studio now uh when, when can we expect a full ep or excuse me a full lp or uh where, where are we at with that now well um you know i'm, I'm working away we're uh, we're getting close to the beginnings of mixing stages and uh mm -hmm. you know i got a little bit of harmony singing left to do and that's that's about it aside from adding you know a handful of other overdubs but 
you know, between that and traveling, I, you know, I'd say we'll be done with it uh, by the later part of the year. Um, uh, I'm, I'm right now kind of trying to make a plan as to how we're going to roll things out. I considered maybe putting out, you know, two or three singles, um, at least via uh, Facebook, you know, social media, um, you know, iTunes and that kind of thing. Uh, initially before we released the whole thing. Uh, but we're still, like I say, we're still in the beginning stages of, of figuring all that out. I'm actually having a meeting about that next week. So, but I'm hoping to get at least a song or two out there pretty soon within two or three months, at least. Um, I'm really excited about this new stuff. This, this album's got a little bit of a darker tone to it overall. Of course, not everything is, is dark or, or gloomy sounding, but there's, it's a handful of things. Um, you know, it's a little different. There's a lot of vibey things going on with it. Uh, it's not quite as, as bone country, maybe, as, as a couple of the things you might have heard me do recently, but it's it's definitely not a pop record either. <laughs> um, you know, it's just uh, it's just another example of, of a little bit of evolution, you know, I think. And I think you got to kind of keep evolving to keep things interesting. So, But, you know, like I said, I mean, I've written – bunch of songs during this whole period. I wanted to represent this period that we've been going through for the last uh, five, six, seven months, uh, you know, the best way I could personally. And, and so this is a big part of that. There's only, there's only two songs on there that are older songs. Everything else is, you know, was literally born uh, between January and, and now. So, um, you know, that's another thing that, uh, that I'm, I'm pretty proud of. So I'm really looking forward to getting this stuff out there and, and I hope everybody digs it. I, I wish uh, anybody who's interested in, in following me at all or checking out some of my live streams, uh, if you'd uh, come and give me a like on the official Ray Scott page on Facebook, I'd appreciate it. I'm on, uh, on uh, Ray Scott Music on Instagram as well. Um, at Reality Check on Twitter, but I, I rarely check Twitter. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and I've got a website, racescott.com. So anything you want to find out as far as where we're playing, when, or you know, what part of my body I'm scratching at any moment, you just uh, <laughs> just look me up. And on Tinder, he goes by Scott Southworth. So yeah, right. Uh, make sure you check him out there. But before we get out of here this week, let's say we hear one more from Ray Scott. This is the title track from his new EP. Nowhere near done on Fast Line Fast Track. This town wrote me off a long time ago. Said it's a game for the young. When 40 was old. These lines on my face. This gray in my head Says I've learned a few things That you don't know yet I've rolled down this road For a good stretch of miles Hey, I know who I am I've known for a while There's a song that I'll sing Someday that'll be my last one I ain't nowhere near done 
gonna drink the wine Until the age is set in Unless you don't like Good stuff, my friend And you can't appreciate a life Ain't been touched by some pain And that pain comes with time There ain't no other way Yeah, I've rolled down this road For a good stretch of miles Hey, I know who I am I've known for a while There's a song that I'll sing Someday that'll be my last one Solid stuff there, man. Thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you having me. Well, again, man, if people want to follow your career, want to download your music, make sure they go to rayscott.com or make sure you go check him out on uh, Facebook. Go, go like that official page here. Check out all the music he's got. Go get that EP and uh, go get all his other back catalog stuff, too, and just uh, just have some fun. The weekend's coming up here. You know, not a nice time here in the fall. Uh, make sure you get, get get out, do your yard work, stream that music. If you're going to be out 
working in your combine, you're going to be out in your grain cart, wherever you're going to be, man, uh, get out there and uh, get out there and, and, and play some of that race. Got music. Pretty sure. Appreciate it. Thank you all for hanging out. And also those live streams Wednesday night. What, what time Wednesday nights? Uh, generally it's on Wednesday night, seven o'clock central standard time. Um, we just did one last night. We're probably not going to have one next week. Maybe not the week after just because I'm going to be on the road. Might not be an opportunity, but uh, that's the usual time. But if you follow me on that page, I always make a, an announcement as far as uh, as far as when those are going to happen. So uh, we have a lot of fun with it. I got my buddy Joe Cook comes over and plays guitar with me and picks a little lead, sings a little harmony. And uh, we just sit right here and, and lay it out there. We talk about being on the road. Are things starting to open up at all uh, for, for artists right now? Man, it seems a little bit, you know, um, I don't know about for everybody. I know my October is pretty full right now. So, uh, you know, it's been the, the busiest month of the year so far. Um, uh, you know, I've got a, a four, a four date run in Texas. I've got, uh, two days coming up next weekend, you know? Um, so, I mean, I'll be out every weekend of October. So if that's any indicator, we hope so, you know, um, Obviously, we want everybody to, to stay, you know, remain safe and, you know, whatever the, uh, you know, whatever uh, the experts think uh, we need to be doing. Um, you know, I've got my own beliefs about that, but that that's for another show. I would say that could be a whole other <laughs> show there. Yeah, but, you know, um, yeah, so I think I think things are opening up. I know, I'm, look, I'm, I know a lot of the smaller venues are doing stuff. Some of them are doing stuff at, you know, half capacity, a third capacity. You know, whatever makes sense for them, honestly, financially at the end of the day. If these guys uh, know that they can uh, sell uh, tickets to fill up half their seats and they can still sell a bunch of beer and liquor, then I'm sure they're going to do it. So, yeah. so we're taking advantage of that. Now, as far as the the big concerts go, I really don't know. I don't know what's happened there. I, I got a feeling uh, they're still a little ways away from, from kind of getting out there again full swing. But, hey, you know, the sooner the better for everybody. Uh, Everybody loves music. Everybody needs music. So we need to get it out there too. So well, make sure you out. make sure you keep an eye on that Facebook page because he'll keep you up to date on, on what's going on. And when he comes to your town, make sure you get there and check out Ray Scott. And Ray, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. And you're welcome to come back anytime you got music to share, anytime you just want to hang out. Well, you just let me know, my friend. I uh, I enjoyed it, man. I, I will have new music to share real soon. So, well, We want to send a special shout-out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. And I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you'll go and check them out. They've got a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. They have some new hours, so pay close attention. They'll be open Sunday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So when you're in the area, stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fast Line Fast Track. I also want to say a special shout-out to our friends at Farm Life and thank them for their support of Fast Line Fast Track. Please go over and give them a like on their Facebook page so you can connect with others interested in agriculture. And join me over on their page every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern as I join Brandon Deal to talk about the things that are on the minds of farmers. And speaking of things that are on farmers' minds, harvest season is here. If you have any last-minute needs for combines, heads, grain carts, grain dryers, trailers, or anything else, 
Head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. And while you're there on the website, be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is being delivered directly to your mailbox, and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across this great country. And remember to subscribe to the FastLine Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, and Audible. And add our Spotify playlist to your library for all the music of past, current, and upcoming guests of the show. And be sure to hit us up on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, now it's time for me to get on out of here. So till next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back. And bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.